inspirational podcast for the hopeless. And I am your very much hopeless host, Donna Scott, comedian, editor, cleaner of shoes to the stars. I've not cleaned my shoes yet. We've been on an absolutely massive walk this week. Uh, actually, been two, two massive walks. Did a six and a half mile walk um, on Thursday around some various bits of Northamptonshire. Went to um, this village called Scaldwell. We hadn't meant to go to Scaldwell. We meant to go around the Pittsford Reservoir again, but. We got to the car park, you know, the one I mentioned before, which is the cheaper car park, three quid as opposed to three pound twenty. Didn't accept, didn't accept card, did it? So I got no coins. Who has coins in this day and age? So we couldn't park anywhere near the road outside the Pittsford Reservoir because there were too many walkers there already. So we drove a bit down the road to this village called Scaldwell and we thought oh we'll just park here and walk around in a great big circle and we thought we would walk to old but we got distracted by a public bridleway sign and not thinking oh it has been raining like flipping heck lately we decided to trudge over some horse fields to Faxton village thence to Lamport Uh, but not quite to the hall and then back round again which is only six miles but it took us three hours (laughs) we we were stuck in the mud so much but oh we saw the fields full of larks like it was the middle of flipping spring it was lovely and yeah I had a really really good time walking around in the mud so much so that I didn't bother cleaning my shoes and yesterday me and my bubble we went exploring Kelmarsh Tunnel. If you don't know what Kelmarsh is, Kelmarsh is another hall and somewhere vaguely around there is the Brampton Holt Railway Station and sort of near there is the entrance to Kelmarsh Tunnel. And we had the idea that one of the tunnels was longer than the other and was a bit more spooky than the other and we wanted to go in both of them. And we knew that one of them was in a place called Oxenden they are not banks up next to each other. But Kelmarsh was very near this little car park. So we managed to find the car park, park the car, go explore Kelmarsh. When we got there, and we asked some people coming down, because we didn't know where we were, is the tunnel near here? And they just looked at us. <laughs> and they went, yes, there's a tunnel. And we said, uh, actually, no, they said, yeah, there's two. There are two tunnels. And that's all they said. So we thought, okay, we'll get to the top of this hill. And we looked and there was a signpost and it said Kelmarsh, half a mile, Oxenden, one and a half. We just assumed that they were the lengths of the tunnels. We thought, we'll try the short one first. Went a short walk down to Kelmarsh. <laughs> walked through there, nice and spooky. We liked it. And we thought we'd walk to Oxenden and we gave up halfway. Because <laughs> it wasn't one and a half miles from that signpost and when we got there eventually neither it was one and a half miles long it was the same distance nay it was shorter than the Kelmarsh tunnel but a little bit less used I think because it takes longer to get to in fact we gave up we got in the car we drove to the George pub uh, which is we thought we might be able to get a takeaway coffee but alas it was shut Uh, so we, we 
then walked down the road again, another mile down the road. Then we walked extra with, without any real need. And then we went, found the path that led back to the Oxenden Tunnel. We were followed pretty much half the way by a small girl on a push-along trike going, I'm catching up with you! <laughs> I am behind you! And it was a good job she wasn't in the tunnel because she would have been spooky as heck. Uh, and then we, we got to the other side of the tunnel and we found the most horrible, slippery, over the brook way back to civilization, <laughs> over various styles. We got there in the end, past the lovely horse farm, back to the George pub. That's the way we're going to go in the summer when it's not quite so wet. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this to ourselves? I don't know. Anyway, absolutely knackered. And that's how I feel today. Mind you, I'm a little bit tired because I've just had to travel to a tier three location to go and visit my dad in a care home. Um, well, it's a future tier three, isn't it? Uh, it's still allowed to go and visit these areas even during lockdown because the care home has provided a means for visitors to to go and visit their relatives it's important for the well-being of the elderly residents in the care homes that you know your family can go and see you so we've just been chatting to my dad through a perspex wall i say chatting to my dad more or less talking while he was there because he's not really with us anymore um, the occasional wiggle of his fingers and a shake of his head and that's all you get from him that's vascular dementia for you but you know made it all the way down that's a three hour flipping drive to go and see him you didn't used to live that far away ah but it's a nice part of the uh, world wiltshire warminster and wiltshire is where he is and uh we picked up a um a local cake from the local Reeves Bakers. So if you are living around that area, go to Reeves Bakers, it is awesome. And uh, yeah, they do lardy cakes and Wiltshire loaves and Dorset tea. Oh, that's nice that is. So in a way, I suppose that's as close as we're gonna to get to traveling with any purpose or any kind of break, is going on a depressing journey to go and see my dad in a care home not doing that well but hey we're all about the positivity and you guys have been so positive lately haven't you everyone's been putting up their trees getting their advent calendars i've had to make do with dairy milk because you, you've bought all the flipping good advent calendars i'm not paying 10 quid for a lint one so you can forget that i've got dairy milk now anyway that'll do and uh, it's officially December from tomorrow. Ah. So I thought, nice Christmas present for you guys. If there are any comedians listening and you were fancying a foray into long form writing, you know how I am pretty hotshot editor. I am offering you my ears, perhaps this weekend, perhaps another weekend. Get in touch with me uh, if you've got any questions about getting into writing and I will spill forth as it were um, I won't do any ed actual editing for you because that is a cha-ching costly service but 
my advice is free so get in touch if you, if you like I'm happy to help I say that because I know that a lot of my friends out there they're trying to write for the first time they're self-publishing and this is all brilliant because my friends are all fantastic but there's nothing that breaks my heart more nothing that breaks my heart more when I look at the look inside pages of a friend's book and I see a flipping load of typos just don't do it so I'm there for you I'm there for you guys get in touch so that's one Christmas present second Christmas present is for everybody and that is the upcoming conversation with my good friend Ian Waits uh, so Ian is a member of my writing group he is a publisher extraordinaire prolific writer and well you'll get to hear all about Ian coming up right now here you go well hello pod people and welcome to my guest for this episode my very good friend Ian Waits hello Ian hi Donna good to be with you fantastic to have you on the show so I have known you since I think 2003 that's a long long time good lord is it really I think I think it was about then, 2003 or 2004, one of those. No, 2004, which is my first ever convention, when I went along to Novacon, um, not knowing what the heck I was doing, dragged there kicking and screaming by Ian Watson, who was guest of honour. And Ian said, oh, come along, you'll have fun. And I thought it was going to be everyone dressing up as Klingons and all very fanatical on Star Trek and Star Wars. And it was nothing like that. It was just 200 people getting together who had the same interests I did. They loved science fiction. They loved um, literature. And um, it was great. It was brilliant. Uh, so it's that that was the um, the Walsall Convention. It was, it's technically yeah. Walsall. It was like about a mile from my house in like, <laughs> just down the road i could walk it um so it was like really strange it was like there's a convention happening in this hotel just like a couple of stops away on the bus so i went along and um the ian watson was guest of honor wasn't he yeah 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 that was novacon 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 he was he was dressed up um doing his um hg wells impression with the mustache and everything and they'd booked him and in between times he shaved off his mustache and they were sh- they were horrified, but we wanted you to do your HG. So we had to dash into Walsall and find a joke shop that sold a fake moustache so that he could put it on to be HG Wells for the convention. I've got the wrong Wells, I've come as Orson. Yes. <laughs> the the uh, listeners won't know, but um, besides being a very good friend and both into the science fiction, you are a very prolific science fiction and fantasy author and publisher and a member of my writers group yeah, everything on the plate there there we go newcon press <laughs> that's your baby isn't it well it's it, it's rather a bloated baby these days but it started out <laughs> yes i mean um i started newcon as you know as a a one-off project to do one book when i even watson myself had helped to organize a convention in northampton which um, was a fantastic convention went really well we had a great time but sadly, we weren't very good at marketing it and nobody came along. I think we had um, about half a dozen or so really good authors and about 35 or 40 attendees. And it lost money. So I produced a book to raise money to make up for the losses the convention made. Um, and it was, a, it was simply a fundraiser, just going to be one book. That was it. And at the end of producing this book, which I was very pleased with, I sort of held up and thought, God, I did this, forgetting all the traumas all the mishaps, 
all the missteps that have gone on in the meantime I thought I could do it again and here we are now 14 years later with about 140 odd titles out so it, it it's yes yeah, started off as a baby and it's grown to a great big goliath but um yeah difficult to control at times but fun <laughs> yeah that was I must I went to that convention and I had been umming and ahhing myself about whether to go and I decided to go in the end because I, I hadn't joined you guys then in the Northampton science fiction writers group because I wasn't living in Northampton um I do now Northampton is a great town it's a it's a very strange town in, in, in many ways but it seems to be the kind of town that rightly has produced many of our great science fictional thinkers the Ian Watsons, the Ian Waits, the Alan Moores, the me. <laughs> and, and don't forget that um, at one stage, Charlie Stross used to be in the area because he was in a, mm. a writer's group in Northampton many, many moons ago. So, you know, it's, 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 it's got a lot to answer for us, Northampton. <laughs> Apparently some strange ley lines. It's always been like the kind of bridesmaid in history, like nearly one of the great universities. Uh, towns. I mean, it is a great university town now, but it, it was supposed to be, I think... One, along the lines of Oxford and Cambridge in its in its heyday but I think the students revolted about something or other and so they they weren't allowed to have a university anymore and um, of course the castle got slighted which um, like the castle in Dudley was slighted um, around about the same time but not because um, that's I would say like slighted is the way you feel when you've paid like 14 quid to enter the castle to go and look at the zoo <laughs> it was like very nearly a seat of government as well so it's, it's one of these towns where that has an awful lot of it sort of like nearly going on stuff well, history geographically it's really well situated so it makes sense i mean I, I think it was very briefly the capital and you say nearly the seat of government but it, it sort of lost the mantle very quickly and um but it, it's right in the heart of england so it's it's perfectly positioned but it doesn't have the Thames, it doesn't have other things that um, probably gave London an edge when it came to it. Yeah, we have just the, the Nen, the Nen, which is like, uh, I think, unlike the Thames, the Thames, which is spelt like James and said Thames, the Nen could be anything. It could be Nina, Nene. <laughs> Nene, yes, I've heard yes. it called the Nene before. Yes. <laughs> Neen. Lots of people say Neen, but it's Nen. So, yeah, <laughs> we first got into a writing group together when we used to meet in the old RAF club. Yep, the Rafa club in, yeah. in Northampton, yep. Yeah. Well, I, I, um, I, I, I joined the group because um, I'm showing my age here, but I was writing science fiction. I hadn't had anything significant published. Well, I had a few things in the, the 80s, but um, in the late 80s in small magazines, but I'd left writing for about 16 years. And I was writing away on my own, um, the inter internet was in its infancy. I mean, this must be going back to um, early, mid-90s, as I say, and I was writing in isolation and just thought there must be other writers, other people I can connect with, and somehow I got in touch with the Northampton SF Writers Group, and Ian Watson, who was an author I'd read, was chairing it, and sort of he invited me along or um, said, oh, yes, come along, and um, I got involved in it that way somehow, and the next thing I knew, I was going along every month and I was workshopping all this work. And um, yeah, and, that, and then a couple of years later, you, you pitched up and joined in. <laughs> pitched up. <laughs> but wasn't your first like meetings in the Roadmender 
Well, not for me. I mean, I, I joined after that. When, ah. I, when I joined, it was, it was at the Rafa Club. But I mean, what used to happen was we'd go into town and um, meet for a Chinese meal beforehand, and then go off to the writers group. And I, I, I'm not from Northampton, I'm nearer Cambridge. So I didn't know Northampton at all. So I used to have to try and find somewhere to park, which was normally one of the big car parks, then try and remember how to get from there to the specific Chinese restaurant. And then it was a case of, now where did I park again? And I had to try and get back to the car, then find my way. So it was all an adventure, but eventually I got to know my way around. <laughs> yeah, I remember those, those heady days when we had prosperity in the town and things were open. The Chinese in question was in Seoul Central uh, and it was like an all-you-could-eat buffet. And uh, it was amazing. <laughs> well, I think we ate all the profits, which is why it closed. <laughs> well, there were a couple of, because originally we used to meet in a place called, I think it was called, I think it was called Chopsticks, which was um, in, the, in the heart of town opposite a, a pub, which if I got there early, I'd go and sip a pint in before going there. Then that closed down. And then we would go to the All You Can Eat. So, um, which was the, um, was it the Aroma? We used to go yes. to after that one in, yes. So then we used to go to the Roma and eat there. Um, and somehow each place we've eaten in has closed down at some point. I'm sure there's no connection. I'm sure that's completely <laughs> random. <laughs> Just going around causing the demise of many businesses. Exactly. Our speciality. <laughs> but um, so you're very much into, into your gastronomy, uh, aren't you? Because you're a bit of a, an amazing cook. I, I, I thought you were referring to the size of my stomach, which could be another clue. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about amazing. I love cooking. I mean, I enjoy it. And um, occasionally it works and it works well. Um, not always, but most people seem to enjoy most of what I cook. And I, I'm willing to take those odds, you know. The occasional disaster is thrown in just for the adventurous spirit. <laughs> um, I don't know about you, but I think one of the best things that, about going to many conventions in all the di different cities that we go to is we always end up going to lovely places to eat yeah oh yes <laughs> and I, I i generally get lumbered with actually organizing the outings and end up sort of booking a table weeks in advance for 20 odd people at this indian restaurant or or this chinese restaurant or this thai restaurant or whatever which is um yeah it, it could get fun and games but um it made no, the logistics fun, but you, you, we got there in the end. <laughs> because you have an instinct for really good places. <laughs> and you sort of draw all the good people to you as well. It's just like, oh, there's the, Ian's organising a meal out. And it's like, oh, that's going to be awesome then. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that <laughs> wonderful endorsement. Thank you. That's another reason why I don't like going to conventions in airports. Because sometimes we have those. It just means that there's nowhere really good round to eat a lot of the time. There's nowhere really good to sort of like uh, leave. <laughs> it's usually like a few airport geared restaurants in the vicinity. And they are a little bit... <laughs> when you say conventions in airports, this conjures up an image which... You mean at a hotel near an airport, as opposed to us meeting in the concourse and having a convention amidst the departure desks. I, I do not. Birmingham feels like it's an airport. <laughs> Always. <laughs> you can't get to a panel without crossing a runway. <laughs> Very often, yeah, you, ha you have to go on a shuttle to get anywhere which is like 
the one at the NEC that yeah. that always has like people stuck on a shuttle somewhere. And I, as I learned to my chagrin, when I um, stayed. Good at, word that chagrin. I like that word. Well yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I like the word chagrin. Another word cropped across my uh, my periphery yesterday, and that was the word lambent. Oh yes. Yeah. I like oh, the word another lambent. splendid word. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Might use that in something soon. Um, <laughs> yeah, create a story just to fit the one word in. Good idea. <laughs> what is my face now? My face is positively lambent. <laughs> so, like, I've, I've I've got stuck, like, thinking I could get back to my hotel on the shuttle, and then the shuttle stopped, and it's like a six-mile walk home. Oh no! That's uh, happened. It's like. I, I must- I must confess that the last Birmingham one, they, they'd, because um, the first Birmingham one we did some years back, that was a bit, that was totally isolated because they hadn't built any restaurants anywhere, anywhere near. So it was the hotel or a, or a shuttle or a taxi ride. But at the last one, they built that huge centre with um, all different restaurants in there. And I remember trying to book there, one of my biggest nightmares, trying to book a meal there phoned up the place and the manager was away and no one else could authorise a party this large. So it, I just couldn't get anywhere. I couldn't get anyone to accept a booking, but um, that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> we've had a bit of a, a crappy year when it comes to our convention going and we've, we've missed them, haven't we? What do you mean a bit of a crappy? They haven't happened. So, yeah, it's terrible. It's appalling. <laughs> yes. Yes. They, it, it is. I've missed them. I've missed them happening. <laughs> And there is talk going on right now about people booking up for next year, early next year for things. And I'm thinking it's probably a bit too soon. I don't know. It's not going to happen. I mean, um, we've got friends who've organised conventions. There's one in particular, StokerCon, which was to be held in April. And um, that was postponed till August, that was postponed till the start of next year. And now they've postponed it again. And I feel Mm. so sorry for the organisers of these events because they invest so much time and, and um, effort and, and quite often their own money into bits and pieces of it to get these things happening. And then, of course, it's all just negated by circumstances beyond anyone's control. So I, I do feel really sorry for them. And it's one of the reasons I'm glad I'm no longer involved in organising conventions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they are quite hard. I mean, I've, I, I think I went and got some whistles for a game that was organized at one of the conventions and that's as much that's as right. i helped yep. organize just a minute yes at the <laughs> yeah. at new con three or new con four or one of them yes i remember that well that's good yeah. fun <laughs> yeah oh we had uh there was ken mcleod there was paul cornell there was ian banks yep or m banks um who else is playing it can't i can't remember was 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 jane fenn involved was I can't remember now. It was, a, it was a while ago, wasn't it? I'd, yes. And trouble is, I wrote everybody down in code for some reason. It's like I called them after the. After, I, I wrote in my notebook as if they're all the clangers because of the noises <laughs> they made. <laughs> <laughs> so I think Paul Cornell was tiny clanger. And that Ian sounds Banks about was, right. Yeah. <laughs> major clanger. Oh my god. Oh dear. So, yeah, I've not really ever got involved with organising anything as big as conventions. So I'm like, I can't even begin to imagine how it must feel to organise something that's had to be postponed again and again and again. But I'm still a member of ChillerCon for when, or StokerCon when that happens. 
Um, and that should happen, I think, eventually, one day. Fingers crossed. Yes, I, 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 um, I downgraded my membership to supporting membership, so I still got some money to help support them. But um, I wasn't going to keep going. I, I personally think we'll be very lucky to see any conventions before the tail end of next year mm. or anything major. I, th I think it's um, the it, COVID is too nasty a disease, and as yet the um, different ways of combating it are still fresh let's see um, what happens how many of the vaccines get out there how many are distributed but I, I don't see it happening before the summer you know even the possibility of, of anything like a convention happening until late summer but we'll see maybe i'm yeah. wrong maybe i'm being a pessimist there's like people same in the world of comedy people have um, already organized their leicester comedy festivals which are their shows for that which are in february and a lot of people have said they can't see it happening i can't see it happening even if it's organized under the auspices of the of lcf and all done virtually online what's to stop us from doing that anyway why do we need an actual online festival to do that is my thinking and come january everybody's going to be thinking about edinburgh i don't think it's i think it's a ridiculous thing to think about it that right. soon because even if everything is is cleared up in august that's no time you, you can't really i don't think anyone would be wise to invest all of their money and plans into something that might not happen no and, and the thing is as well again from the organizers point of view they know that people are going to be cautious about these things so it takes an extreme optimist to even try and organize something i think um yeah, i i you know i can't wait to get back to conventions but there are all sorts of other um aspects to consider as well uh we sell books at the conventions as new compress and how it how is it browsing going to be possible when there's still a contagious disease on the loose um it's there's all sorts of things which make it um something that needs to be thought about very carefully i mean you, you were talking about sort of comedy festivals in march in the first week um of lockdown in effect um we had tickets to go and see three concerts in four days um and of course they were all cancelled and they, one of them was put off till September this year, which has now been cancelled again to next year. So I really think it's a case of, of knocking back and being hopeful and, and hoping that the vaccines are effective and that um, the, the pandemic can be controlled, which it's not really being controlled at the moment. And it needs to be before people have the confidence to invest their time and their, their effort in, and, and money in going out to um, organised events. Um, I think we're a way to go yet. Yeah, we'll get there, though. We'll get there. Yeah, I had tickets to go and see Fish and um, that was put back and then then it was cancelled. So it's, it's not going to happen. So he's no. just going to, he's decided, he's still got his dates for Germany and that's it. If Germany happens, because they're a little bit further down the, down the line, then he'll go tour in Germany. But um, that's it. No more Fish. No more Fish gigs. He's retired. All right, so he's um, he, he's hung up the microphone entirely, has he? Yeah, he just produced his last album, Weltschmerz. So it's good. Um, so I think a lot of people have been taking their ticket money and spending it on merch. <laughs> yeah. Instead. Well, we, um, 
we we had tickets in September to go and see um, Steve Hackett, um, the old Genesis guitarist, um, perform with his band in um, the Corn Exchange, and that's now been put off till next year. So I'm hoping that by then maybe it'll be possible, but we'll see. Playing it very much by year, I don't think you can do anything else. Let's talk about more cheerful things. We're cheering each other up here, aren't we? Absolutely. This is an aspirational podcast, but so it's, <laughs> it's about giving people things to aspire to. So, like, yes. we can talk, for example, about how we improve our writing through being members of a writing group. So I think it. Ha- I think it works. It works for me. Oh no! I mean, very much. So I. I was. Um, as I say, when I when I joined the group, I was very keen to do so because I did feel I was writing in isolation. I did feel I wasn't getting feedback. Um, I remember seeing a comment on Facebook by a professional, inverted commas, writer. And his comment was, I would never, ever, I've never been a member of a writer's group. I never will be a member of a writer's group because I don't want my stories to be written by committee. I want them to be written by me. And I thought <laughs> that is... So that gets the the whole idea of a writer's group so completely and utterly wrong. And I looked at it and I thought, do I put down, but don't you want your story to be read by a peer group to to let you know where it's weaker, to let you know where it perhaps could be polished a bit more, to let you know where there's a plot hole you're not seeing? Don't you want that before you put it out to the market? I also thought, you know, there's no point because no one ever changes their opinion in these discussions. You just voice yeah. yours and attract more. So I didn't. But that's, for me, that's what the rights group's all about. It's, you've got a story, it's, you like it, you think it's okay. But at the end of the day, nobody can really properly edit their own work. So if you put it out to other people, people whose opinions you trust and who you feel have something invested in giving an honest opinion, not just a syncopatic, yes, that's wonderful, that's great, but an actual honest critique and opinion, then you'll find out where perhaps you haven't quite done what you intended to, where someone's reading something and misconstruing what you've put. And if you get two or three people, all of whom misunderstood what you said, then the chances are you've worded that wrongly. You need to go back and, and think about the phrasing. Um, it's stuff like that. It's just the polishing. It's the the fine detail which a writer's group can help you um, adjust and get a story perfect. But the other thing for me that the writer's group does is, and this is something I found out very early on, is I was looking at um, one or two of the perhaps early members of the group who, who weren't professional writers and weren't perhaps as polished as, as many of them are in the group now. And I was, I was saying, well, you, you keep doing this thing wrong. You keep doing that wrong all the way through. And I thought, hang on a sec. I do that as well. Yeah. And suddenly <laughs> you can find your own faults by spotting them in other people's work. Looking back and thinking, oh, crikey, I didn't realise I did that. So it, it's very educational and it's a, a process that I found very rewarding and certainly it, um, it, it's helped me develop my writing, no question. Yeah, and I'll tell you what I also find really, really good about being part of a writer's group. Um, I tend to have lots and lots of ideas and I feel like I've got lots of skills in different areas and I'm always like, right, I'll, I'll do a bit of this now and I'll do a bit of this another time. And I'm, oh, here's a joke, I'm writing a joke. Here's a poem, I write a poem. Here's a story, I write a story. Didn't finish the story. I think having these deadlines that we give each other to get little bits done that I need to get in by this time so that people can read it 
I think it helps me enormously because yes. otherwise I'm too scatterbrained. I would never finish anything. <laughs> your problem is you have your irons in so many fires, being a stand-up comedian, being a poet, being a writer, being an editor, being, um, and all this is in addition to having a working life. That yes, you, 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 and it's something I suffer from because you're running a small press publisher, uncovering so many aspects of it. And it's more often than not, I'll start doing something, something else will happen, I'll go off and do something else. And you have to discipline yourself to actually focus and get something finished. Otherwise, you end up a week down the line and realize that actually you've progressed many things slightly, but you haven't actually got anywhere with any of them significant, significantly to a significant degree. So you've got to focus, get something done before you move on to the next task. And that's not always easy to do, particularly if the thing you're focusing on isn't a pleasurable thing. And you know there's something nice you could be doing over there, more exciting, more stimulating. So, but it has to be done. Everything is pleasurable. Everything is, I mean, it's like having a bit of a, you know, a toy box, you know, with all the different toys in. And uh, yeah, if you, if you could, they'd all have a tea party, but they can't. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can't have a Meccano having a tea party with your Snoopy, because it just wouldn't work. <laughs> Unless, well, you could make it fit, but it just it would look wrong. So it's just, there's just too much to do sometimes. <laughs> I think I, I let other things slide. Um, there are some dusty areas of my quite dusty areas of my house so and uh yeah rather neglected aspects of the garden as well um although i've been growing quite a lot this year so sorry hang on do you mean to tell me that you're supposed to do things in the garden to keep it neat and tidy i never knew this what what's this? i'm afraid everything in the garden is edible <laughs> <laughs> or it's useless to me <laughs> i'm looking out there there's a great big pile of nettles and i'm thinking i should tackle those and then i think they're also edible okay in the absence of conventions and live meetings in pubs and all of the things that we do live meetings in pubs that's what we call them <laughs> we, i've lost the vocabulary to describe real world encounters with actual people now <laughs> so in a world where this sort of thing is not happening so you as a publisher how are you getting on with the the whole business of getting your books out to the world and letting people know about them and their existence it, it, it's it's been fun and games because of course the other the double whammy was that um when all this kicked off amazon who let's not forget started life as a bookseller that that's what they did and expanded into a global empire that does everything under the sun and, and wants to control everything um, amazon in their infinite wisdom suddenly stopped stocking many of the new titles we were bringing out even though they were printed by a company which amazon is the major owner of and it turned out that they had decided that in these difficult times their warehouse um, capacity would be best used for um, vital uh, equipment and couldn't be spared for anything as, as um, trivial as books. In other words, there were other things they could sell they could make more money on. Mm. So um, all of a sudden, new authors or new books coming out from authors who were all excited to integrate the books with me in the shop, I was getting people saying, I've had, uh, authors getting in touch with me saying, I've had people come back to me and they had the book on pre-order for two months from Amazon and Amazon said they can't get hold of it and don't know when they can get hold of it. And 
it was actually Amazon just deciding to stock other things in preference to books. So it, it's been a double whammy because A, you've lost the conventions and B, Amazon, which had always been there selling books happily, decided they weren't going to sell every title. How we've coped has been by um, doing things online. We had a, a virtual launch where all the books that should have been launched at EasterCon and StokerCon, the authors very kindly did readings and said short bits. And um, we, we had a, 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 a small reduction on the new titles as we would do at a physical launch. Um, and and we, the only thing we couldn't do was send them a glass of wine through the post. They had to provide that themselves. But then, you know, we, we did that. We, um, we've had sales. We've tried to keep a high presence. I'm using the raw we here. It's mainly me, but I mean, I've, I've had help along the way. But um, yeah, and it's, it's, it's gone okay um, after a very shaky start because of the cancellation of London Book Fair, which we'd invested in to appear at for the first time because of the cancellation of all the cons. Um, it was a bit difficult for a time, but I think also a lot of people are aware that small presses have suffered and have, um, have, have gone out of their way to help support and, and make a point of people who would have attended the conventions and said, okay, I couldn't get the books at the conventions, I'll buy them online. So yeah, we've, we've recovered from a quite tricky opening to the um, lockdown and it's not been a bad year. How long that can be sustained for going forward, who knows, but at the moment, yeah, we're doing all right. And, and we've got a sale on at the moment with, um, I think, over 80 different uh, titles and special offers and signed limited editions with crash prices going on for another week. And that sort of thing, hopefully, will help us make sure that we don't have to sort of, you know, set light to the furniture and, and start burning the home down to keep warm in the winter. You know? Fahrenheit 451. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I tried an online launch myself of um, our new kind of best of British science fiction but I did it on Twitter and um, I thought I started writing the tweets well in advance <laughs> and I thought what it would do is I would have a little pre of every single story that is in the in the um, anthology and uh, at the author of that story if they're on Twitter uh, I only got one of them wrong uh, so one person was not on Twitter but I managed to find somebody who else with that name who also writes so <laughs> <laughs> oh that was well done and science fiction so that was orcs but <laughs> <laughs> and I got my glass of red and I got some some lovely goat's cheese and three hours it took me to get through all the names <laughs> three hours <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> no, um, I wasn't that ambitious. And I think every single author retweeted their own thing. <laughs> Understandable. Nice of them. <laughs> well, I, I had, um, I must confess that when lockdown first started, I, I wasn't on Zoom. I avoided Zoom because I was quite enjoying just being able to sit back at home and relax and not have to think about conventions and plan books and and everything and I had an invite to be involved in well two or three different conventions at different times I just thought you know what it's not going to be the same I'm not going to be able to go and chat with people in the bar afterwards and have a drink I'm not going to be able to go out for any of these nice meals you've talked about um I'm just going to be an unsociable so-and-so and so I was for quite a while and it's only been really in the last couple of months that I've ventured onto Zoom and I started doing bits and pieces um, 
I think I'm an old curmudgeon at heart, really, you know, and, mm. and the lockdown gave you an opportunity to be that without offending anyone. So. <laughs> By the way, that was just me going, because mm, I recognise the curmudgeon in myself. Not that I agree, <laughs> you're a curmudgeon. Yeah. Yes, you are, yeah. <laughs> Is one thing that all these honest writers have in common the use of florid language, the love of bon viveurism, and curmudgeonliness? <laughs> yes, that's probably right, actually. And, and I, I do think it's it's true that um, I mean, a lot of people have obviously been very um, badly affected psychologically by lockdown, by the inability to go out and things. But from my perspective. I would often go four or five days without seeing the outside world, you know, writing at the computer, editing, designing covers, chasing up printers, getting in touch with authors who hadn't come back to me on something, um, answering um, questions from uh, buyers who hadn't got their books or who wanted to know why the book hadn't arrived when it was posted out to America three days ago and this sort of thing, you know, all, all, all this type of thing goes on. And, and so, for me, that aspect wasn't so bad because I was used to the lack of social contact. Um, but at the same time, that was when I was going out because not going out because work required me to be at home and that was fine. It was my choice. As soon as the government started saying you're not allowed to go out, I kept thinking, but I want to go out. I want to yeah. leap out the door. I want to burst into the countryside. And you know, So it's amazing what a contrary individual I can be at times. I think that they've let you. <laughs> think that was allowed i know but <laughs> part of your government mandated hour of bursting out into the countryside <laughs> I, I must have missed that in the small print <laughs> but, uh, exercise done back in the house <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's about it yeah <laughs> i mean how, how about you because you 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 obviously you've been used to going out to work you've been used to um traveling into uh, on the train and the bus and stuff like this and all of a sudden you're working from home how, I, how, how do you found I, I like the working from home now i did insist on a lot of video calling to with my teammates in my day job because i wanted to see people's faces and um there is a thing called zoom fatigue where you see too much of it but um i'm not really affected by that i think i like to see people virtually and then the meetings are shorter which is great and i can get on with stuff and i'm i, I like i'm like to focus the lack of people around me is brilliant i don't hear their awful awful music everything's great so i am very well suited to the working from home vibe now i think where i am a little bit kind of uh, is that i also have this kind of like need as a comedian for instant gratification socially so um when i put my my stuff like make a remark on on, on facebook or whatever uh, or put a, a video spend three weeks flipping editing it and then eventually put it out on um my youtube i'm like please like please like <laughs> and why is everyone <laughs> ignoring me facebook <laughs> you've changed your algorithms no one can see me <laughs> this is sad i'm going to cry <laughs> so there's that and so i think from a, a mental health perspective I think it, it's it been getting to know yourself and what I've learned about myself is that perhaps I should worry less about how well things are doing. <laughs> just get on and do the creative side of it and then just 
do what I can to get it out there and then ignore what's actually happening with it. Just get on with it, write, do, that kind of thing. I think to an extent you're right, but at the same time, um, you need the encouragement of some sort of positive response in order to do that. So whilst you, it's, it sounds very sensible, don't worry about that, just get it, put it out there and don't worry about what happens. We're human beings and we don't react like that. We, we, we need a little bit of, um, a little bit of validation in what we're doing from, from our peers, from people, even if it's just one or two comments, make you feel, Oh good. Someone's enjoyed it. That's fine. You know, and I, I had, um, I, I had a review for a book that came out, uh, my last novel in May, where somebody said, absolutely love this, um, best science fiction I've read for ages, not quite as good as Arthur C. Clarke, but not far off sort of thing. I thought, oh, that, you know, that'll do me, you know? yeah. I'll take that any day. <laughs> well, do you know what, I, I've decided to sort of like, also be the change you want to see kind of thing, and I've joined Goodreads for this very reason, so I've only just joined Goodreads last month. Um, so that I can start adding reviews of things I've just read because I think like if you're a writer I know a lot of writers you want to see you want to see reviews of if people have enjoyed your books you want to know really have people liked my books so I've I've started adding a couple of reviews of things on Goodreads as I finish things and also that's encouraging me to actually get on with reading it which is, which is great yeah yeah as you say it's another of these it's only a minor goal but it's still a, a, a goal it's still a um something to aim for because oh good when i finish this i can put a review up so no i, I can understand that I, yeah. i've never i've never joined goodreads um i'm a member of library thing but i i remember many many moons ago when all these i think goodreads came out first library thing not long after i remember ian sale saying oh you, you should join you can put all your books up and you know list your collection and i'm thinking I've got thousands of books. <laughs> Where am I going to find the time to list my collection? <laughs> Where? You know, it would take me a week of going through things. I don't have a week. <laughs> so I, that I, kind I, of I, thing goes on, and that's when you discover you've got three of the same book. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Let them sort that out after I go. <laughs> after I've shuffled off this mortal coil. And they go, why has she got three copies of this book? <laughs> Well, I, I I find that in my um in my leisure time in inverted commas when I can sort of get a little bit of time away, because I'm reading and um, editing so much science fiction and fantasy with Newcom, that I've been reading uh, old English classics almost um, writers who've perhaps gone under my the radar as far as I'm concerned, or I haven't really um, delved into in any great detail. Um, stuff that's not genre related at all. So I've been reading some um, books written in the, I don't know, a hundred years ago by authors from from the sort of Edwardian era or from the um, pre-war era and this type of thing. Um, totally different, different uses of language. Occasionally, actually sometimes more than occasionally, aspects which are um, surprising in the attitudes of society at the time, which the authors are reflecting relating to race and relating to gender and things, that you have to either say, I can't deal with this and put to one side, or you have to accept this is of its time and skirt over it. Um, it's actually quite shocking sometimes when you come across these things, but I am finding some very good books in the process. 
so I've been doing that and not reading so much science fiction but I did get into the TV series The Expanse um, and so I'm, I'm starting to read um, the books that it's based, the, um, based on Leviathan Wakes and things and finding those very entertaining at the moment so I'm reading a bit more hardcore um, space opera science fiction at the moment. So before you go Ian, um, yes, what, I, yeah, what I normally ask my interviewees to come up with is because this is an aspirational podcast that do you have a lovely mantra to hand in the front of your brain that you would like to share with people as an encouraging bon mot as it were that perhaps they could frame and put on the wall funnily enough no <laughs> but, no i mean i i do think you know having gone from some as somebody who um i've always wanted to be a writer um, ever since I was at school and I, I won a few uh, prizes and things and, and knew that I was good at English, um, knew that I was good at essay writing, I've always wanted to be a writer. But throughout my um, 20s, 30s, I did a nine to five job to earn money because I had a mortgage and, all, and I had to pay the bills and all the rest of it. And the writing took a very much a back seat until I actually got to the point when I was in my own 40s and I thought I've always said I want to be a writer I've always thought one day it'll happen because I, I, I think I've got the ability to be a writer um, but it's not going to happen unless I actually sit down and make it happen by carrying on just doing what I'm doing and muddling through life I'm never going to achieve what I want to unless I try and actually stimulate um, the pathways that allow me to achieve this unless I actually do it myself so I've done that I've become a published author I now run my own um, publishing house goodness knows how that happened but it seems to have done um, so yeah don't ever sit back and assume that life is going to hand you what you need if you want something the only person who can make it happen is you so if you really believe that something could happen, that something is feasible and that you've got an ability to do something, have a go at it. Because if you don't, there might come a day in 20, 30 years time when you're sitting there and think, I could have been this, I could have been that, if only I'd uh, made, or, or if only life had treated me differently. Life isn't gonna treat you differently. It's the way you treat life that matters. So if you want to achieve something, go out, have a go. And if you fail, at least you've had a go and you know that okay that wasn't meant to be but don't come to your old age and think i wonder what would happen if i tried to do that don't wonder do it yeah. there you go there's a nice little there's a nice little um catchphrase at the end there don't want to do it otherwise i would say that we're going to need a pretty big canvas for all those words <laughs> hey I, i've just given you a mural there so you yeah know. yeah <laughs> That's like we need we need to get a, an arts council grant and uh, put that up in, in the middle of the town somewhere, maybe out of metal. You're reading the classics at the moment. Uh, what is it you're working on? Well, uh, I've got two things on the writing front. I've got a a, um, a novel which I've been sitting on for a while now, which um, is inspired by the life of Holbein, um, and it's a fantasy novel which required me to create 16 different cultures from um, matriarchies. There's, there's a piratical um, 
society based on an island which is a very matriarchal in its structure to one based on the Khmer, um, old Khmer civilization, to one based on Venice and the art center around Venice, to one based on 1920s Paris, um, and others that I've just made up as I go along. So I've, I've had great fun with that. That still needs some work doing, and I need to have a very careful look at that. But I've also started writing a sort of, um, I think it's gonna be a novella um, set in a, science fictional future um world yeah a sort of space opera quite a gritty space opera novella i don't think it's gonna be novel length but i think there's a novella in there and i started working on that the other day um so we'll see how that goes see how that comes on and and of course you're you're, you're going to start editing a new anthology soon aren't you oh yes so you've heard it here first guys <laughs> um there's going to be a new best of british science fiction so this would be the, the 2020 edition, which will come out 2021. That's the way the years work. You have to finish a year before you can publish the stuff from it. <laughs> it it's all to do with time travel. It's very strange stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> very, very weird. Very, very weird. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll start asking for some submissions. Let's, let's just say, like, this is an announcement in this podcast. Announcement. Making yes. A very special podcast. Exclusive, world exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I say you've got so many titles, new titles out there. Are there any particular titles which you are going to recommend for anyone to pick up for Christmas? Because we're entering the Christmas old gift right. gifting season. Takes a deep breath. Well, as I mentioned, there is a sale on, so if you're looking for Christmas presents at the moment, books down to, some of them are 60% off the signed limited editions, new compressed website. That's just a general thing. Now, I've got a book officially due out in January, but because it's all about the build up to Christmas and the months leading into Christmas, we're actually getting it, pre-orders and everything shipped this month. And that is a stonkingly wonderful novel from Liz Williams called Blackthorn Winter, which is the follow-on from a novel she produced earlier in the year um, called um, Comet Weather, about four Fae sisters. And to give this an elevator pitch, um, the tagline I put up was, if you can imagine um, practical magic meets the witches of Eastwick, but transposed to contemporary London and rural Somerset. That gives you a rough ballpark of what Comet Weather is about four sisters their mothers disappeared and all sorts of strange things are happening and they have um abilities which go beyond the mundane world um and blackthorn winter continues it's the next um next adventure that the four of them embark on um i'd recommend that it's a wonderful it's funny at times it's exciting at times it's warming at times it's a wonderful wonderful christmasy winter's book i've also got a um a novella which is due out in about two weeks time from a, an Australian author called Eugene Bacon, which is, um, it's a contemporary thriller set in Sydney, but it also reaches back, Eugene is of um, African descent, and it reaches back into her, um, into her uh, roots, if you like, her, her, uh, her traditions, etc. as well. And it's one that sort of blends um, fantasy with, folk horror with modern day thriller and that's getting a lot of attention at the moment called um called ivory story so i would recommend that and then we've just got a book which um i'm bringing out 
by Neil Asher, um, space opera set in his polity universe and it's set in late polity and also goes beyond polity and what the world is like, universe is like beyond there. And I, I just put up on Facebook this morning that um, currently in Amazon's, Amazon UK's uh, hot, hot new deals in, in space, in, in hard science fiction, the Kindle is sitting at number one and the paperback is sitting at number two in their sales rankings. Yay. So it's, it's doing okay. <laughs> And so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to leave it there because I could keep going and going. And yeah, have me on in a couple of weeks. I'll tell you about some more. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Okay, so I'm going to put all the links in the podcast linky bit underneath. Um, you know what I mean. All the words have now gone. <laughs> so I'll put, I will put descriptions and links below in the podcast details space. So... Um, well done. You, you, you got the right <laughs> words out in the right order. That's, that's really good. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, so it just remains me to say thank you very much, Ian Waits. Thank you very much for having me on, Dee. It's been great. Take care, and I'll see you soon. See you soon. <laughs> You've been listening to the Lemonade Budget for Champagne Social Butterflies with Donna Scott. Please like and subscribe. Give us a five-star review. I love you. Also check out Donna Scott Comedy on YouTube and my website, donna-scott.co.uk. Music, It Looks Like the Future But It Feels Like the Past by Dr Turtle on Flush Your Rolex EP.